going on, guys? My name is David Gibson. I am the host and founder of this podcast, SADcast, a podcast resource dedicated to telling stories and sharing the experiences of the sports information and athletic communications profession. I want to thank you all for being on this journey with me for 100 episodes now. And it dawned on me we have well over 100 hours worth of content um, for you guys. I know I, I've told this story a lot lately, uh, especially near our two-year anniversary, because for some reason these uh, these two important dates align. Um, the first being, I never intended to get this far with SIDcast. Uh, I was going to start this show and do once every two weeks, see how people like it, and then go from there. Um, never intended for it to get as, as big and, and as... Um, fun as it is um it is exhausting so i will get into that here in a minute but i just want to say thank you guys so much uh and i'm really at a loss for words really at myself uh you you, you do this a hundred times and you're like well holy crap uh quite the uh quite the hours to put in for something like this uh especially a podcast you, you don't see a whole lot of podcasts actually reach episode 100 um they actually barricade themselves in maybe episode 10, episode 20. I think there's a term called the 20 episode uh, limit or barrier or something like that. Uh, and we have well surpassed that. It took us a little minute, though. I think we were struggling to get past that 2025 mark. And then once we hit the 30 and then the 40, we really started to hit our stride here. Um, so I wanted to share with you guys over the past 100 episodes our sort of evolution here for a minute before we get into Ira's episode, but um, right now on Fireside, I have 23,306 downloads. Uh, that does not count the transfer or the turnover we had from SoundCloud, which is around 11,000. Uh, so you're looking at about 34,000, 33,000 range worth of uh, total downloads and listens over, over the past 100 episodes. So um Again, can't thank you guys enough for that and, and eating it up. Uh, it really does mean a lot to me. Uh, and because, I, 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 again, I don't know where to go from here just to, to talk to you guys about this. But, like, I've always wanted to be really, really good at something. And really, really good at a couple things. Um, I invested, and I'm sure a lot of you have, and a lot of you are going to relate to this, uh, Growing up, I've read somewhere, especially in the couple books that I have, one being, uh, oh gosh, what's it called? Uh, no More Mr. Nice Guy by uh, someone Glover, Dr. Doctor Dr. Robert Glover, and then, and uh, gosh, I think can't think of it, uh, Heart something, I don't, I don't remember, but uh, they always talk about the false self, uh, and a lot of what men and, and young people, people do is uh, when they invest so much into being good at one thing uh, and they invest basically themselves into it it's kind of like a glass roof type of thing glass ceiling uh, and I did that with cross country and track I, I invested I, I made it so that cross country track running what was me you know I built this glass house glass castle uh, out of that shroud and uh, eventually, it, it keeps on, it'll crack on you, and it'll keep on coming down. Um, and again, gosh, uh, gosh, what is that called? I can't remember what it is. I might Google it here in a minute, and then come back with you guys a little bit. But um, So I was really worried about that. And I, I mean, literally, podcast numbers literally go up. Uh, you literally cannot go negative with it, but what you can do is go negative over a, a certain period of time. I mean, there there have been some months where it's been a little down, and I noticed that uh, during what type of season it is. If it's like June, May, June, July, August even, those are big months for us because um, that's when you guys have your off days, that's when you have your off weeks even, and you're just kind of chilling your office and you're just damn near bored looking for something to do uh and then when it gets around this time is when those numbers start to go down i don't panic because i understand uh 
And I want, I still, I still think that this is a, an amazing resource, and I still think that that it can serve the same uh, as it did for you way back in those months to where you had some time off. So, um, what I need from you guys as we hit episode number one hundred, and I promise I'll stop rambling and move on here, but uh, is to rate and review. Uh, one, I love reading them. I, I love seeing what you guys have to say. Uh, it, it makes me feel good. It keeps me going because if you ask any podcaster or anything that they do, uh, anybody that has turned their hobby into something that um, generates anything, whether it be money or happiness or anything like that, uh, that it does get a little daunting at times. And what I get a lot, and I and it still baffles me right now to this day, is when I ask our guests, have you ever listened to an episode... It's getting better, but guys, some of them say no, and, and I don't know what more, I, I guess, I, well, I know, I got several ideas, but uh, I think that rating reviewing is really going to help, and I think that when the algorithm shows up, and when the people finally get around to listening to podcasts, because my girlfriend just started listening to podcasts, uh, a lot of the same ones that I do, actually, um, with cults and everything like that, but... Uh, those sorts of things will show up in their recommendations, uh, and, and I'll talk about our timeline coming up here in a minute, but I really hope to be affiliated in some sort of way uh, in the next coming months. Uh, I've got the email draft ready. Um, I'm just waiting for a specific time. So let's talk about that for a moment before we get into anything else. So back in August, I got an email at 10 o'clock at night, the day before my birthday, three days before uh, we were supposed to start grad school, um, that I had five credit hours remaining, and that my advisor uh, was saying, sorry, you know, you're enrolled, but we're going to defer you until spring semester, um, you need to finish these up. So, uh, reluctantly, uh, mistake or no mistake, uh, I would have had to take them anyway, and that's what I've done. Uh, I'm in an accelerated course. I'm in public relations 101. I took a one credit hour rock climbing course. Uh, and I'm in a couple, I'm in a four credit hour course. Uh, so right now, as it stands, I usually, no matter what it is, and I don't know any different at this point, but during finals week, I usually takes a day or a week off. Uh, you guys know this if you've been around any point of time. And then for holidays, I take days off. So if Thanksgiving, you won't get an episode. Um, Christmas week, you will not get an episode. Which I'm just doing that for me, for my family, uh, and for you guys to just kind of relax and, and, again, take a step back because you, you, you know you need it and you know you deserve it. So um, that being said, my finals fall on corresponding days of different weeks. So I would have to have taken two weeks off of SIDCast to finish those finals just for the sake of getting my degree. Uh, and then I would take a week off for Christmas. I'm making the executive decision to take December off. We will be back in January. We will be back in 2019 with a brand new uh, newsletter outlook um, design, I guess you could say. Uh, again, affiliations and stuff. I want to do some, some sort of like game day graphic or pod day graphic. Um, for us, so that's just some sorts of things. Uh, not abandoning you guys. I, I sure as hell do not want to abandon this. Uh, I love it too much. I love talking to you guys too much. Um, and today is no exception, as I think today. Uh, can I say this? I was a lot better than the first round, uh, just because of the way that we changed back since then. And if you guys are trying to look for Ira's episode right now, um, good luck. Because I have 100 megabytes worth of space on my um, uh, hosting platform, and Ira's was something like 107, so they made it private until I'm able to get to it. Uh, so if you're looking for him, he's episode number 13, but we cover a lot of the same stuff uh, now as we did then, just because we basically have a whole new audience from then to now. Uh, so that's what we'll cover, but December, we're off. We're going to take a mental rest. We're going to finish up our degree, move forward. Uh, 2019, we'll be back. We'll return. 
Uh, we'll still do some recording and stuff uh, over December, over Christmas break, um, just so that we have that deep bench for 2019, and I've got a couple people in mind uh, for that. So uh, anyway, moving on. Thank you, SID Week. Look at that. What is uh, the third year now? I think so Bo White uh, contacted me and asked for one of those um, little snippet of things, and I was very honored, very humbled to do that. I was, I was very excited. So, uh, yeah, we, we have that going for us. Um, we have that going for you guys, and I know that um, this is a thankless job, and the way that I like to do that is by giving you guys interviews and letting you tell your story. So I feel like every week for me is hashtag thank your SID week, but um, if we need a whole week for it. Perfect. Sounds good. I'm glad all the recognition you guys are getting. Um, I'm glad all the thanks that you guys are getting. Uh, I don't know. I just really enjoy this week for for whatever reason. I love hearing people's reasons why they're SIDs. That, that just makes me happy. So, um, yeah, rating and reviewing, I already mentioned it earlier. Follow us on social media if you're new, at SportsOfoCast on Twitter and Facebook. Um, you can find this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, anywhere you get podcasts. I know a lot of people actually listen to this. Uh, when I post it to the groups, they go straight to the face or not the Facebook page, but our uh, website, uh, which we hope to be getting a new domain because SIDcast.com is already taken. Uh, bastards. It's like some RPG uh, role-playing like board game website with like dragons and stuff. And I'm, I'm, I don't know, we got to get a trademark or something just so that we can kind of claim that, I guess. That's how that works. I'm not quite sure. I'm not, I'm not good with that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I forget. I lost my place, but that's all right. So let's just move on. Episode number 100 of SID Cast. Uh, Ira, let's go through this real quick. Ira promised me. And I cut this out, Ira, but I was just testing your levels and I was trying to be funny. But um, I or something like two years ago in the Facebook group, I, I well, it's like somebody posted that they had been interviewed by us or by me uh, two years ago. And then Ira put, if I ever got interviewed by this, I'd do the whole thing in a British accent. He failed to do that the first time around. Second time around, I gave him another chance. But uh, yeah, that was fun. We talked a little bit today about his new role with... Um, with the new coming AD in NJCU, the rebranding process that they're having for the Gothic Knights, uh, his thousand hours of community service that he's got going for him in the Howell Township, I believe is what it's called, uh, his new role with the New York Jets, we'll talk all about that and more on episode 100 of SID Cast with Ira Thor of the New Jersey City University Gothic Knights, and we'll start off, for those who don't know about his very first taste of sports information and how he got into the industry, right here on SID Well, I actually got into this business by accident. Um, I, I knew what sports information was. I, I went to William Patterson University in the mid-90s. Um, I uh, was part of the TV, radio, um, and uh, newspaper programs there, and Actually, Kevin Burkhardt from Fox was um, one of my broadcast partners, or maybe I was his broadcast partner uh -huh. since he was, he was the talented one. Uh -huh. um, and so I knew what sports information was because I would always go to Joe Martinelli, who was the SID at William Patterson at the time, you know, for information so we could prepare for our broadcast. Mm. He kept asking me to work, and I wanted to, but I couldn't afford to based on what he was going to pay me because I needed to have a job outside of school to pay for no tuition. Um, and while I was in school, I was working um, at a radio station in New York at Hot 97. I was a sports writer for the Bergen Record, which was the largest paper in North Jersey. Um, I actually started as a sports clerk and kind of worked my way up when you know they needed somebody to cover something. I volunteered and proved myself, and eventually that's how you work your way up. But you know, did some TV as well, and you know I was. Graduated in May 2000, and I was working at another paper while also at the record. It was two papers at the same time. And um, you know, Mart Joe Martinelli called me, and he was like, this position's open at NJCU. It was August, I believe, of 2000, middle of August. And he said, you know, you'd be perfect for it. And I know you don't have the you know, practical day-to-day -day experience, but you might want to consider. So I was like, you know what? I'm not really liking the, uh, the 
minuscule salary that I was right. <laughs> making uh, in newspaper. Although I know that when you start off in Sports Info, the salary is comparably minuscule. But um, I applied at NJCU, and I got an interview, and I got hired. They, they saw a lot of promise, and uh, hopefully I've lived up to that promise. And I started on August 30th, 2000. Our first football game was two days later. So I was literally thrown in the fire. All right, yeah. What were some things that you maybe had to learn on the fly like that? I mean, what was that like for you personally with that pressure coming on you? I mean, I was a lot younger back then. I was 23 when I started, um, so I had a little bit more energy than I do now. Um, <laughs> so I would literally be working 20-hour days for the first couple of weeks to just try to catch up. I and mean, I had to learn all the stats software. I knew none of it. Um, I knew most of, you know, of how to keep stats. Obviously, the NCAA manuals helped a lot there in my early years, reading those cover to cover. Um, you know, the relationships with coaches was easy. I was always good at building relationships. It was just a matter of finding out what the best practices were and then having those evolve as I went on. You know, I was a strong writer always, coming from my newspaper background. I was strong, you know, on the, on the microphone from my broadcasting background. But mm-hmm. it was just a matter of learning the business. Um, and, you know, my first year had its ups and downs as I was learning, but um, something I did my first year that really kind of pretty much locked up um, the job permanently for me was I got two of our athletes in Sports Illustrated right. faces in the crowd in the first six months working at the college. Um, that caught a lot of people's attention. Yeah, so before we move into some of that Sports Illustrated stuff, uh, what did you think some coaches thought of a 23-year-old being their SID? I didn't get a lot of brushback. Um, our, our basketball coach at the time was a legend, and he was very open. Um, you know, Charlie Brown, our court's named after him. Um, one thing I learned from him is about being on time. Um, our first road trip, November 2000, we were going out to Susquehanna. When we were leaving at 8 o'clock in the morning, and little did I know that 8 o'clock Met 7:55. You're on the bus, um, so I roll up, I park, and I walk up to the bus literally at eight o'clock as they are pulling away, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm like, I'm gonna miss the bus, and I, with two bags including a computer on my back, raced down the street, and was banging on the side, and the basketball players really didn't know me very well at uh-huh. that time. They're like, who's this weird guy pounding on the bus? <laughs> I caught them at the light. The light was red. They let me on. And two things I learned that day. Well, they learned that I was a lot more athletic than I looked because <laughs> I was able to catch the bus. Right. And I learned to always be there at least five minutes early. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So, yeah, I couldn't even imagine because I'm 23 now. Couldn't even imagine being in that position of being a head SID at something, maybe even a place that I wasn't really so sure about, maybe a place that I hadn't even heard about. Did you know anything about NJCU before you applied? Yeah, I actually knew a lot about it because they were in the same conference as William Patterson. Oh, okay. Um, still a pretty decent rival, rivalry, and um, it's funny because a lot of the coaches at William Patterson who were there when I was an undergrad are still there. Wow. I've gone back, and I've hosted their Hall of Fame banquet, and it's almost like another family for me because it's coaches that I grew up with. But, um, you know, game days were enemies now. But um, <laughs> it. I think because of the newspaper experience and the broadcasting background and just being on air, I came in with a different level of confidence than I probably would have had had I not had that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been thankful for that. And, you know, obviously, um, as you probably talk about later in the show, I've been able to do some pretty cool things outside of direct athletic communications now that take into account some of that broadcast work. Let's talk a little bit about the Sports Illustrated stuff. So, how did it come about? Um, what was your initial fan base reaction to finding, and maybe even your administration's reaction to finding out that you got two athletes featured in Sports Illustrated in the first six months? Well, I was on an interim basis back then, right. and I think that helped me take the interim tag off, that's for sure. Um, I, I just knew that it was that we had a candidate, we had a women's soccer player who set the all-time NCAA record for saves at all divisions, men or women. And then we had a, uh, a track and field national champion who was um, broke the all-time NCAA record in, that, in the, I think it's the 55-meter dash. And I just knew from my producer background with TV and from being an editor with papers kind of what, you know, 
what kind of made that cut. Right. And that's why I, uh, I put both of, both of them up, and they both made it. And I think I've had 11, 12, something like that over the years in Faces in the Crowd. But I'll ne- those are my first two, and I, I never forgot them. And I'm still friends with both of the athletes to this day. Yeah, awesome. So in your mind, what does make that cut, like you said? I know that there are a lot of people out there listening to the show that think that, or they believe, because I, everybody knows that they've got an athlete that's worthy of a storytelling. Um, but what is that cut? What is that cutoff line for you, maybe w- even with your background that you've had? If it's somebody who has, you know, an all-time national record um, or, you know, somebody who has overcome, you know, here's a great example. We had a, a, a men's soccer goalkeeper who made it. He actually worked for me, too. His, um, his brother is an SID at Staten Island hmm. right now. Um, Tyler Krichkowski, this is about four years ago. Um, he had been, his freshman year, he was our starting, one of our starting outside backs. His sophomore year, he was a starting midfielder. Junior year, he comes into the year. He's one of our team captains, and you know he's our best player. And none of our goalkeepers came back. And we got into the season, and we had no goalkeepers. So being the most athletic guy on the field, our head coach went to him in the preseason and said, "What do you think about playing goal this year?" That and that took that was a big ask by our coach because you're taking your best offensive player off the field. Right. Um. So he in three weeks of training, he was turned into a goalkeeper. Two shutouts, back-to-back games, was named National Player of the Week in the first week he'd ever played goalkeeper at any level, including you know kiddie soccer, youth mm-hmm. soccer. There, there's no doubt in my mind that was making faces in the crowd, and it did. Yeah, absolutely. It's, just, it's something you need. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a record. It just could be something that just pops off the page. In that case, it did. Yeah, absolutely. So, like you kind of mentioned. Uh, a lot for you to take in that first year at NJCU. What were some things that maybe you do different, maybe you even see now as you're sitting in your office uh, um, in New Jersey City with what you do now as opposed to how you did it back then in your first year? Way more organized now than I was back then. I have a lot more planning that goes into it. Um, a lot of the times back then I was trying to figure things out on the fly. And there's still times, you know, with some stuff with video now where I'm figuring stuff out literally the day of, of the broadcast where we're trying something new because um, it's constantly changing so much. But that's really it. I have more of a plan. I know what works. I know what doesn't work. And a lot of it, quite frankly, is trial and error. Um, what we do have now that we didn't have back then is much more quick responses from, you know, from our peers. You know, back then. Yeah, I could always pick up the phone, and I still do pick up the phone and call people for advice. Um, but now, if you need an answer, we can go in somebody's Facebook groups and ask, um, you know, for feedback. And I see, you know, people have really relied on that as as a as a resource, and I think that's great. Um, that's really the big difference now. Now there's a lot more immediacy in terms of getting an answer, um, so you don't have to be as nervous about trying things out and having that trial and error approach. There were a lot of things I did wrong. Initially, I, there was a story on one of the on the SIDs noise board the other day where we were kind of telling about our initial failures, funny yeah, stuff. I saw that. I had been trained on how to do a stack crew basketball, but not how to turn it on. And I didn't know the first game I did that you had to type in one, two, three to start it. And it took me three minutes into the first game I ever did solo to figure that out. Mm. That was embarrassing. Yeah. But you know what? That's, that's something looking back. It's keeping it real. Right, you got to roll with the punches. So maybe what are some things in the past couple years, maybe since we've last talked or maybe even a little bit before then, that you've had to evolve with as this industry has? Um, Well, now that I actually have a budget, I did not have a budget under my previous athletic director. Our new budget, our new athletic director has kind of given me, um, you know, some pretty good leeway here to build a video program. We're starting to do that. You know, we signed on with Production Truck. Um... We started. We finally have internet at our outdoor complex. So I don't have to try to do it off a wireless card. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to evolve in that regard. I'm uh, trying to do bigger and better video. I'm still learning it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm good at it, but I want to be great at it. So that's a personal goal. Um, you know, the graphics is something that I just I'm just come to the point where I realize I'm 
my stuff's intermediate. Uh-huh. It's never going to be any better than that. Um, but I've signed on with Box Out Sports, and sometimes I'll use their stuff straight. Sometimes I'll take uh, part of a graphic, a template from one of their graphics, drop it into Photoshop, and kind of add my own little flair to it. Um, there's the thing is, there's tools now as videos evolving and as graphic design is evolving. I mean, you don't necessarily have to be able to do it all yourself. There are other ways to do it where you're, you can still do it very professionally, but get help along the way. And I'm not afraid to ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of changes at NJCU, you guys just had, um, a new athletic director. So what was that like kind of adapting to, uh, a new boss per se, maybe some things where there's some things that, um, he has suggested for you or can you spare no detail on that whole process? Well, I was involved um, on the search. I was one of the few staff that was on the search committee, uh, which was great because I got to actually have a hand in, in helping select my, my new supervisor. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been wonderful. So our new athletic director, Sean Tucker, he was the associate director at Rutgers where he actually was a football student athlete. Wow. Um, and he's come in and just breathed just a whole new life into this place. I feel like I work at a different school, quite frankly, you know. My first athletic director who hired me years ago was fantastic, but he retired in 2007. Um, you know, you're not always going to get along or see eye to eye with every supervisor you have. Our last athletic director, we saw things differently. Um, so it wasn't as progressive of a, of a 10-year stretch as I would have liked it to be. Um, but our new athletic directors come in and given us, you know, culture change and just the direction we're taking and everybody's opinion means something and um you know just trying to change the culture around here and it's been infectious the student athletes um are feeling it the staff feels it Uh, we come to work with a new energy every day i look forward to coming to work every single day not that i did it in the past Uh because i love what i do but there were some there were some days where i was more excited than others now i'm every day i'm excited because there's something new we're working on where you know, for, for the last seven years, I've been trying to push us to finally redo our, our identity. And we're in the middle. We signed on with Joe Bozak, and we're working um, with them on, on new branding right now. And it's just so exciting to be part of what I consider a progressive uh, department, which is what we are right now. Yeah, awesome. So what's that process been like, just real quick? Because that's always fascinating to me, the rebranding process. Um, what were some things that maybe they consulted you guys on? Uh, how's that whole thing going right now? Well, when they initially came in, so I, when our new athletic director came in, I was put on our administrative team, so I had a lot more of, of a seat at the table than I ever had before. Um, in, the, in the past, it was kind of just one or two people that decided everything, and now like the six of us who are assistant directors who are, are kind of steering some of these projects, which is great. But it wasn't just us. We had the initial meeting. Um, then they came in and they met with some of the upper uh, senior leadership at the school, including some of the vice presidents. And then we had a really good brainstorming session that included some of our head coaches, some of who were veteran coaches, some of who were brand new and are looking with fresh eyes. And we had maybe five or six team captains from different sports as part of it as well to kind of see things through their eyes. Um, and so far, I, I think it's been an exciting project. And um, we've seen the first five potential renditions and we're kind of picking and choosing which elements we think work and, you know, tweaking a little bit. And it's really neat. I'm, I'm really excited to see what this becomes. You're very involved, not in just your job, but in COSIDA, in your community. Let's talk a little bit about the COSIDA stuff right now. Educational lounge sessions. That was your idea, wasn't it? That was one of my dreams. So, you know, I was, obviously I was on the board of directors for uh, three years uh, through 2017 um, I was the D3 side of president. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just finishing up my last year on the rotation. I'm in the past president role right now. Um, and because I had involvement, I'm, I'm the, uh, I'm the uh, chair of, of um, CDMAC, the College Division Management Council. So I've been pretty involved over the years. And, you know, I've kind of gone back and forth from different committees. And you, there's some committees you feel like you enjoy more than others. I'm also an academic All-America, but I always just, I got on the programming committee maybe about five years ago, and I, I just really enjoyed it because you have a you know a chance to kind of shape the convention and, and listen to what people are, are talking about and try to shape the programming around what they really need. 
Um, so Wendy Mayer and I are really good friends, and we've been working closely on the programming. And um, one of the themes that I heard as we were, uh, I think it was two years ago when I initially came up with the concept, was, you know what, people are saying that, yeah, we sit in these uh, larger uh, meeting rooms and we see, you know, you know, I don't know, like Photoshop or InDesign or something like that being shown how to do it on a screen. And it's great if you're just there to, to kind of learn, like, the theory aspect of it. Um, but if you're trying to learn the hands-on approach, it's really hard to do in a large room like that where there's 500 people um, and, you know, you may or may not be able to see the screen. So it's like, you know what, you know, it sounds like people – want more hands-on training and they want it more in a a small setting you know 10 15 20 people and that's where the idea that i had for the educational lounge came around um and it kind of came together in about four months last spring um and i can't thank wendy enough for giving me the freedom um to kind of run with it and barb kowal for helping us get it off the ground and obviously this year it's gonna be bigger and better and more sessions and We'll be able to announce it much further in advance, but it all really came about from just listening to what my fellow, you know, colleagues across the country were asking for, um, and you know that's where we built the idea from. I have some other ideas too that we hope to kind of introduce this year as well, but that's really all it was: is just listening to people and trying to come up with ideas to try to meet their needs. Um, you know, we had. Um, I mean, that's if you remember a few years ago, one of the big projects I was working on came from, uh, you know, the, the unreadable uniforms. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the hashtag that I think Dave Petroff came up with, which is hashtag Unithorms, yeah. which I guess is a play on my name, came from this project. But that project came from just hearing people having a common complaint online that, hey, I, I can't see these numbers. Mm-hmm. And we, the more and more we looked at it, we realized it was a big problem and. That was my first year on the Casada board, and we did we did something about it, and it's been good because we've been able to educate coaches and administrators around the country, and you're starting to see some legislation now come down the line trying to eliminate some of the silliness. Yeah, and there are still some silliness, Ira. I'll tell you that right now. So you need to get up in Indiana and tell <laughs> a certain school to, to calm down. But um, yeah, enjoy the educational allowance stuff. I uh, was unable to attend one because I had to be at a wedding. Uh, but I appreciate you asking me to be a part of that um, for podcasting. So I, I, I thank you very much for that. So can you give us a sneak peek as to some ideas you got coming up for the programming? Well, I think for this upcoming year, um, the idea, and this is going to be dependent on space in Orlando. D.C. was tough because there's I mean, right, yeah. saw how small some of the rooms were. But um, we have a lot more space in Orlando. So the idea is to have not just one session going at a time, but two and perhaps three and be able to have more of them per day. Um, so, um, you know, obviously a lot of folks got locked out because we only had one room available and 20 max in there. So now we may have anywhere between 40 and 60 per time slot. It's going to open up for a lot more folks. Um, we may not have to limit it to three per person. Um, and we're going to come up with some kind of a system where you'll be able to get more immediate notification that you've uh, been signed up and you're good to go for a session. But we're going to do a lot of the same ones um, that we had in the past. We'll obviously have more towards genius sports, some hands-on stuff with them. Um, hopefully by the summer, um, I hope I'm on the um, the NCAA advisory committee for for stats. And you know, by then, I think we'll have a better idea what we'll be rolling out next year: volleyball, soccer, etc. Um, so maybe we'll be able to debut some of that in there. You know, I'd really love to have you know more sessions with guys like Mark Majewski and some of the other designers around the country who are really talented um, and, and have them kind of do the hands-on. I, if you can learn from some of your peers who are excellent at stuff, what, what a great way to learn something, you know? Yeah, yeah, awesome. So um, not only are you active with your community and NJCU stuff, and we'll, we'll get to all the, all the other stuff that you get going with, but the last time we talked to you, um, you were with the New York Giants, and you're still there. Nobody panic. Yep. He's still there. It's okay. The thing is, he's kind of turned some colors here. So uh, <laughs> can you tell us about your new role with the Jets? Well, so for the Giants, for those who aren't familiar, I, I started as their press box announcer, internal PA announcer, however you want to call it, um, 
late in the 2014 season, I kind of filled in slash auditioned, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. um, and then got the role full-time in 2015. So this is my fourth full year with the Giants. And I had filled in with the Jets a little bit too. I'd done maybe a half dozen games with the Jets as well, and they knew me pretty well. And um, they knew I was good on the mic side of things. But they wanted to make a change in the statistical aspect. Um, and I got a call from um, Jared Winley, who is their PR director, back in June. I was actually at Cosida uh, when we first started talking about it. And they, they said they kind of want to make a change there and you know, change the culture a little bit and um, asked whether I would consider coming aboard or if not, if I had any recommendations. And I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? You know, while that sounds pretty difficult to do stats for NFL games, uh-huh. I think that somebody might be interested in. So I, I let them know that. And um, they had other candidates as well. So I'm sure there's probably like 10 finals or whatever. But um, eventually, by the time we got to mid-July, we'd gone through the interview process and I got the job. Um, and one of the reasons I think that I, I got it was not only it was my experience, and remember, I don't have football at NJCU anymore. We dropped football in 2003. Right. So I've been staying relevant with football by doing Brett Wagner and some other schools. Um, and actually, back in 2012, I was recommended by um, some colleagues in the business, Jason Fine, Jack McKiernan, recommended me to the New York Yankees. Same deal. They wanted to kind of make a little bit of a culture change with the pinstripe ball. And they brought me and uh, Terry Small, um, and Tom Emberley and a few others involved, John, John McEwen, to run the pinstripe bowl. I was overseeing the pinstripe bowl now for seven years. Um, so I I was, I was, knew the stats. I wasn't the, uh, the, the trouble. Yeah. It was doing an NFL game where there's a lot of pressure. So I had the idea, you know, I don't want it to just be me helping to run this. I wanted to bring in a fellow SID kind of as like the deputy crew chief. I'm the crew chief, head statistician, but I wanted to have a deputy. What, what would happen if I had a game here at the college on a Sunday and I had to be at NJCU? You know, you need somebody mm-hmm. who's you know, just as talented who can step in and, you know, run it with, you know, without missing a beat. So I, I made that suggestion and I wanted to bring Mike Scala, who is the director of athletic communications at Montclair State Board. They love the idea. Mike and I both got hired in July and uh, yesterday – uh, against the Indianapolis Colts, we saw uh, the Jets kick seven field goals and win. They're three and three, and we've gone through three NFL games unscathed. Um, every Wednesday, and anybody who's listening who works in the NFL um, may or may not know this, every Wednesday they send out a report to all the stat crews and the PR departments, and you know, I'm sure others are receiving this as well in management about any statistical changes they make during the week. Because they are, they have the ability, and they will make changes to the stats after reviewing it. Yeah. So you, you don't want to see your name on there. That just out of personal pride. Um, and they're always going to change a tackle or a QB hit or something like that, but you don't want to see much. So the first game they changed nothing. Nothing statistically that changed the first game. The second game they changed the first tackle of the game and two QB hits, um, and that's it. So I'm hoping that this continues that we. Don't see your name in there very much. Yes, but it's it, it's been awesome. Yeah, it sounds like it because not only you get to stay with your uh, G men, but you get to expand your role quite a bit. Um, which yeah, I can I can imagine. I feel like I'm a I pretty. Confident... At, I look at it this way, you know, um, how many people get to work for one NFL team, let alone two, two NFL, NFL teams? Yeah. So I consider myself pretty blessed. Yeah. So. I couldn't imagine the, the pressure with that, too, but I'm sure after you get going a few times, it kind of whittles out on you. But um, So what are some things that maybe you've wanted to change or maybe some things that you, that you saw, like you said, the Jets were looking for a culture change? What, what does that mean for a person in your position as head statistician? For me, yeah. it was making everybody feel as if they were important, making sure that they knew that the role that they played on a game day was valued that their opinion mattered just as much as mine or anybody else's in that room, um, and have them have the ability to kind of take some ownership in their area. Um, I don't know what um, the crew was like really before that. I only kind of observed it uh-huh. from an outside perspective. Um, 
but to me that's just important and it's the same way i run my office here with you know with with my ga and my student assistants and eventually down the line i'm going to be hiring a full-time assistant and uh hopefully in the next year or so it looks like um you know yes at the end of the day you know i'm in charge but i don't run it that way you know we're, we all have you know pretty much an equal say unless a, a my final decision has to be made. Um, I, we keep it lighthearted. You know, we, you know, at the end of the day, we're not curing cancer. We're not trying to solve world peace here. Um, it's sports, and it's supposed to be fun. So you treat it professionally. You try to get it right. You know, my office motto, for real, I'm not even joking, my office motto is get it right the first time. Um, and if we can get stats right with the NFL right the first time, it's way easier than seeing your name in a report on Wednesday. But that's really it. I, I just culture-wise, I just want everybody to feel that they're important, that they're valued, and that what we're doing means something. Yeah, that sounds great. So let's move away from from some of that sports stuff here. Let's talk a little life stuff. Um, you, I think, around the time when we had you on, I think don't don't quote me on this. I think you were running for the the board of education, but you yep. to no avail that time. Am I right? And this okay. time. Didn't lose by much the first time, though. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. You did kind of lose by a, a very narrow margin, as I recall. But you're on it around this time. A thousand hours of community service. Uh, that's impressive, to say the least. Uh, so how do you balance all that with being an SID, um, doing all those roles with the Howell Township Board of Education, and, and the thousand hours of community service that you committed? Well, I ran in 2016, the same year as the Trump-Clinton election. Okay. Um, and I still have that ballot saved just because to see your name on the same one as Trump and Clinton was kind of weird. Uh-huh. So I have that saved in, in my little scrapbook. But, um, yeah, I got like almost 7,000 votes. I live in a town of, of about 53,000 in Jersey, near the Jersey Shore, Howell, New Jersey. Um, got 7,000 votes that I lost by like four or 500 votes. It was so close. And I, I don't give up. Anybody knows me. I don't give up on things. You'll never see me quit. So I was like, you know what? This is important to me. I'm going to run a second time. And the second time I did win. Um, and by a much better margin, thing. Oh, yeah. Um, um, it, was, it was important to me. And that's why I did it. And you know, I never thought about the hours you're doing. I mean, you know, it, the only reason I even knew the hours is because Chris Mitchell and Megan Harden um, the last day of the convention, um, I guess they were getting close to breaking the record, and they've been on me for weeks. Uh, we know you're doing a lot of hours. Can you please fill out your sheet for Casada 15? Um, so I sat down, um, actually, at, at the bar down <laughs> in, in, uh, in D.C., and I sat down, and I was like, all right, I'm doing this. I'm doing this with the Board of Ed. I'm doing this with coaching. I'm on these committees with the Board of Ed or with my alumni association. And I sat down. You can't get the exact number, but you, you have an idea what it is, you know, plus or minus maybe 10%. And I sat down and I figured it out and I was like, wait, no, nah, that, that can't be right. So I sat down and I did the math one more time. And I was like, actually it is right. And I was shocked, um, which explains why I'm always tired. <laughs> yeah. I was literally doing four hours of sleep a night, you know, between SID work. And when I wasn't doing SID work, I was either coaching or, or, or on, on board of ed committees. So, there's no way I'm doing that many hours again this mm-hmm. year. I'm probably going to be half of that. You know, 500 I think, still a pretty good number, and I'll be happy with that. But, um, yeah, it's I, I don't know how I, I have no good answer for how I managed it. I just, just did I, it. I'm good at organizing my time. You know, my calendar, if you look at it, it's all orderly in terms of what I have to do and when. And sometimes you miss stuff, and I know that. And that's something I personally got to get better at is, you know, hitting deadlines a little bit better that's where i struggle but you know i have a wonderful wife my wife Catherine, is amazing i have three kids and the board of ed you kind of do for them um and um you just make it work it's just about time management mm-hmm. but it's exhausting i'm not gonna lie and i don't know if that's something i could do again at that level this year you know yeah. i'm coaching one less team than i did last year i'm on one less board committee um you know, I, I, the reason I was doing so much with our um, alumni association of William Patterson is we were launching a scholarship for one of our professors who was retiring, and that took a, a ton of, of work. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be cut back this year. So um, you know, if you're passionate about something, you find the time. 
obviously if I was at a school that had 24 sports versus 16, which is what we have, right. and if I had football here, I don't think a lot of this would be possible. It would maybe two, three hundred hours, not you know, thousand for sure. So it's it's all based on personal circumstances too, I think. But uh, to me, stuff's important, so you find the time. Yeah. So it was that finding out the hours was that kind of a good or bad wake up call for you? I don't think it was good or bad. It was I okay. think it was just eye opening. Like you, I think you do things without realizing you're doing it. The time that right. you're investing sometimes. I mean, imagine if all of us sat down and actually figured out how many hours we were actually putting in as SIDs every week. You know, I'm probably around sixty hours a week. You know, some people I know a lot of people in this field who are who have football and are single man shops, single woman shops are doing 80 hours easily. So if you actually sat down and you calculate the hours over the course of a year, it would be staggering. Mm-hmm. To me, I think it was actually a pretty cool exercise. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, now that you say that, I'm kind of scared to calculate how many I've done with the show. <laughs> you know, you being episode 100 and all, that's well over 100 hours of content, plus the editing, the interviewing, and everything like that. That's... Yeah, um, let's talk about one more thing before before we move on here. Um, maybe even another wake up call for you. And this is something that we don't really talk about a whole lot with a lot of our guests. Um, you're in a car accident on September seventh. Uh, yeah. How was? I mean, I don't even know how to ask this. Uh, how was? How was that for you? You know, I'm sure terrifying. But what was life like after that for you? Well, you know, to me, it. it I mean, I had my four-year-old daughter in the car, and that's what made it really scary. I was driving her. I was actually, we had an early soccer game that day, so I was coming in a little earlier than I normally do. And I was driving her to school, and there is an intersection. I was on a county road in Hal, and it's a blinking red light. Um, I had to right away, and it's an intersection that's notorious um, for accidents. I think there have been like eight people killed there wow. since the intersection was built you know, decades ago including motorcycles just a couple years ago. Um, and um, guy ran the light. You know, I had I had dash cam video of it because I have a dash cam on my car because I almost got killed by somebody running or driving the wrong way on a highway a few years ago. Um, so I caught the whole thing on video, and he didn't even attempt to stop. And we got 45 miles an hour collided, and it was pretty scary. Um I couldn't feel my legs for the first like 15 seconds. And I, I was really, really scared. And I was like, you know what? I, I got to get out of the car here because I got to get my daughter out. So I just forced my stuff out of the car. And so obviously, obviously I was fine. I was more shocked at that point. Mm-hmm. And I pulled her out, took her to the side. And, uh, you know, my car was totaled. But at the end of the day, my daughter was fine. Yeah, she's she just had uh, some bruising and stuff like that. She still talks about the accident. A lot, which bothers me. So, you know, she obviously has some trauma that way. Uh, but physically, she was fine. I um, I dislocated my wrist a little bit and sprained it really badly. Um, so it's and still hurts, but nowhere near what it was. It was, you know, I still actively play soccer two or three times mm-hmm. a week. Two times a week now, I've cut back a little bit. Um, and I was like, shoot, I may never be able to play again. And I was like, that's some of the things that are going through my head when I realized that I had a wrist injury. Um, but you know, my car was total, but we were okay, and you know, was able to get a pretty cool car out of it after I, you know, <laughs> after I settled with insurance, yeah, yeah. <laughs> checked what I had in savings. But it was it was scary. I've never been in, uh-huh. you know, I've been I've been at a red light before where I get hit from behind by somebody texting. Mm-hmm. You know, while I'm stopped at a red light, but I've never been in an actual accident before. And it's, I always told people it would always be because I got hit by somebody else, mm-hmm. and that's what happened. No. So how's that going to change what you do? It sounds like you're making you're you're rounding a corner here. You're you're cutting back on your time, spending more time with your family. So how is all this going to change you uh, in the coming years? Um, how's Ira Thor going to be in the next years coming up? I mean, I don't want to say it was a near death experience, but it was you know, somewhat of a of a potential tragic experience. So it, it wakes you up a little bit. But I had already had a different philosophy anyway. I mean. For years, I have been talking, um, you know, with my wife about doing different vacations and, mm-hmm. and experiences. You know, it's it might, maybe it's a cliche that it's about it's not about the des- no, it's not about the journey. It's about the, you know, the uh, the 
Destination, destination about the journey. About the journey. I was about to say, yeah, yeah. I was, I was saying that reverse. <laughs> You're good, man. It's not about the destination, it's about the journey. And, you know, that, that's something that's important to me. It's about having life experiences. And I kind of already had that philosophy. Um, so this past summer, anybody who's friends with me on Facebook, and there's a lot of you out there, um, we did a pretty epic um, nine-day, 2,500-mile drive road trip. Colorado, Rocky Mountains, Wyoming, South Dakota, Montana, Idaho, six or seven national parks. I mean, it was amazing. Um, and this is stuff that five years ago we were never we would have talked about and never done. Right. Yeah. And it got to February this past year. You know, I had turned forty recently, and I was like, you know what? If we don't start actually stop talking about stuff and actually doing it, it's never going to happen. So, you know, I saved up some money, and we did it. Mm-hmm. And so I had already had that that life philosophy anyway. I think I think turning forty is kind of when you start realizing some stuff anyway, and that, that's where that, that switch goes on. That hey, we got to start doing stuff, or you know, not gonna be young forever. Um, so I already had that just feeling that I wanted to do things with my family and and do things that were important and have good experiences. So I don't think the accident itself is going to change right. anything too much. Um, I've been able to channel, channel being angry about it. Cause I was, I was pissed. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was furious cause I was minding my own business and this guy hits me, but you know, it, you know, we were, it could have been far worse mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm lucky and blessed and, you know, I'm thankful that and my daughter's okay. And obviously that I'm okay as well, but you know, not going to change my philosophy too much. I'm going to live my life and I'm going to do what I think is important. I'm going to try to help people, which I think is important. I'm going to value my family. And I'm going to try to have good experiences along the way because, you know, again, another cliche, but tomorrow's not promised. Mm -hmm. And you want to try to make sure that every day counts. And I I try to do that. You said you guys took a little trip out uh, in the South Dakota area. I think we did that. Dad, I know you're listening, but I think we did that a couple years ago. so, what was your, some of your favorite things that you did? I, I know I talked about Mount Rushmore in a lot different way than you talked about Mount Rushmore. <laughs> I, I love the whole trip. I mean, the fact that I went nine days and my wife and kids did not try to kill me is, oh, yeah. is great. I mean, I'm a Oregon fan, a Oregon Trail fan. I just love history, so I think they oh, yeah. were a little annoyed at me for <laughs> wanting to out. stop Independence Rock and Fort Laramie and a couple other places in Wyoming, but the trip was amazing. I mean, you know, mm. I live in Jersey. You know, it's pretty flat for the most part, you know, but you got the beaches, and I love the beach, but I never had experienced the mountains. Um, so we, we flew into Denver. Um, this is in on, on August 4th, and we went up to the Rocky Mountains, and we did Trail Ridge Road and um, went up to about 12,000 feet. And I was mentioning to you off air that, you know, I got out of the car at the Alpine uh, Ridge um, Center because we were going to hike to the top of that. And I took about five steps, and I was just absolutely floored from the altitude. Like, I fell back against the car. I was that taken back. And you know, I've been an athlete my whole life. and mm. you, It's you freaky. hearing about the air being... Thin, yeah but until it hits you you're like oh my god yeah and i was like I, I i i was like nervous i was like i can't catch my breath but finally did and all of us were out of breath but we hiked to the top i gotta put those pictures up on facebook i don't think i ever did um but that was awesome and then it's scary driving along the road because you at any given moment you might fall off the edge so that was the greatest road i'd ever been on in my life and i've been to hawaii and i've done the trail to hana which was awesome, uh, the road to Hana, but the, the Trail Ridge Road at that point of the trip was the most beautiful road I'd ever been on. But we went on, we, we did Wyoming, uh, went through southern Wyoming and just drove through all the open country and went into South Dakota and did Mount Rushmore, which I loved. I'm, 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 I love history. I'm patriotic. I thought that was really cool. I teared up. Not ashamed to admit it. <laughs> did a bunch of really cool things out in uh, um in the Black Hills, and we were out there just by dumb luck or poor planning on my part, one or the other, during Biker Week. Yeah, the Sturgis thing, Sturgis yeah. Festival. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you what, and as I mentioned this to you off air too, I was like, I thought they were really cool. Yeah. I liked them. And I had some cool conversations with the bikers, and, 
You know, I'm you know, out in Jersey, you see somebody drive past you on the turnpike on a Suzuki at 100 miles an hour, and you're like, you jerk. Yeah. <laughs> and out here, you're like sharing the road with these guys, and it's they're like just a... trying to have a good time. And it was, to it's... me, I was like, this this is pretty cool. This is an awesome life experience. Yeah, but what's that? It, uh, it's like a pilgrimage for them almost. They were everywhere. We yeah. would see them coming from Colorado. So it was come, there was one guy I was hanging out with. Um, who had driven all the way from Sacramento. That's mm. a ride. There was another yeah. guy we met who was from Rochester, New York. He was driving all the way out to South Dakota uh, on 90. Um, that's just cool stuff. I mean, these, these guys are trying to have, have fun, enjoy life. And, you know, yeah, why not appreciate that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'd like uh, to turn... Did, uh, I was going to say one thing that we did out there that was really cool was the Badlands in South Dakota. Oh, yeah. And I hiked to the top of, in 94-degree heat, to the top of one of the peaks out there. And, you know, that was, you know, it was, it was exhausting. And I was, but, you know, for a 41-year-old guy to be able to get to the top right. you know, when your family's like, you know what, you go, we're staying in the car, <laughs> was, was pretty cool. And that was only halfway through the trip because we went out to Yellowstone and Grand Teton and um, Idaho and, you know, we went to rodeo out there and honestly, cool. the coolest thing we did out there that was not planned david was i was trying to find a way into the northeast entrance to the park um, of yellowstone coming from we were i think we were in billings montana and i found the beartooth highway it's the beartooth scenic bypass i think is what they officially call it and it's basically these winding mountains through southern montana right along the edge of a mountain. Um, there was snow on there. I, I was doing snow angels. There's a video out there of my kids throwing <laughs> snowballs at me uh-huh. at 11,000 feet above Montana. It was, and I said Trail Ridge Road was the coolest drive I've ever been on. Uh-huh. Beartooth surpassed it. It was, and it was an accidental find. It was amazing. And it was like, I truly found like a happy place out there. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, you've already kind of done some of these questions here before, but I'd like to transition this as part of the interview where I like to ask some fun questions. Ira, you might remember some of these. You might. I, I'm not sure yet. But um, for the sake of time, we're kind of pushing up against the clock here. But uh, in your mind, what characteristics or traits make a good SID? Uh, somebody who's detail-oriented. Uh, somebody who um, I think values, um, you know, relationship with coaches and athletes and understands that what we're doing um is not only benefiting our institution but you know we have a really have the ability to impact in a positive way other people's lives um i think somebody who is selfless um i think that is and that doesn't mean that you have to work yourself to the bone and and not be appreciated because that's not true but you know, at the end of the day, what we do is kind of a service business in athletics. Um, I think being organized helps a lot. I think somebody who's not afraid to take chances and not afraid to fail. Um, you know, people who are, are trying to, you know, experiment and try new things. You know, yeah, I'm a perfectionist by heart, but I failed quite a bit, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. Um, and you have to be, I think, willing to learn. Like, you know, I'm not going to be as good as graphics as, you know, maybe somebody who's coming fresh out of school. Um, but I'm willing to learn, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to get better every day. Yeah, and My absolutely. expertise may be in other areas, but that doesn't mean I can't learn new things. Outside of the graphics and video stuff, what's one thing you're interested to learn more about? Um, it's actually not athletic communications. It's actually um, development. Mm-hmm. I've had a conversation with my new AD about that, and I've helped out with some donor relations here. I've helped organize dinners with our university president with donors at her house. Um, that was the first time I'd ever tried to do that, and it went over with a you know, flying success, and I was thrilled with the outcome. And you know, I love doing what I do every day, but I also don't want to do it because it's the only thing I can do. Um, I want to be able to do other things in athletics if, if I so choose to down the road. And I've always kind of been interested in development, um, partially because of the relationship aspect. Mm-hmm. I think you know, somebody who's good at development and, and fundraising is somebody who knows how to build relationships. So I think you know, if, if you take some of your athletic communication skills, it almost marries it perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. So what's one piece of advice you give to a student going into this profession? 
Um, one advice I give to a lot of my students is to take advantage of opportunities. Don't just say no without realizing, you know, what it is and, yeah. and, and how it could open doors for you because everything I've done along the way is a byproduct of stuff that's happened before that. You know, me working with the New York Jets is a byproduct of me working for the Giants. The Giants happened because I was successful with the pinstripe bowl of the Yankees. The Yankees happened because people felt strongly enough about my my leadership and my work that they thought I could run a bowl, help run a bowl game successfully. And that's all happened by leadership I've taken along the way in our profession. And that's all happened by doing my job well and by speaking up and um, having fresh ideas and not being afraid to kind of voice an opinion when, when it's okay to voice an opinion. Um, and at the end of the day, and caring about people. Mm-hmm. And I think all that, uh, you know, goes a long way. But it all starts with taking that chance and looking at an opportunity. And if I had not taken that phone call from Joe Martinelli, said, hey, you might want to consider this job at NJCU back in August 2000, you know, I'd be doing something else right now, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. It might be, I might be a sports anchor at a, you know, TV station somewhere in the Midwest right now. Who knows? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, work-life balance. What do you do to have fun? Big soccer player. Um, I play in the Garden State Soccer League, which is the top amateur league in the state of New Jersey. We actually made the state finals last year. Um, <laughs> we up three nothing in the state final. We lost four three. Wow. It's, we decided to stop playing defense. Um, I also play in a league with a lot of the same guys on Wednesday night. Uh, we're the defending uh, champions, so I'd like to like to keep that. Uh, I got a little medal in my office over here that I make people look at once in a while. Um, <laughs> but I do that. I love the golf. I suck at it, but I love playing golf. Um, and I love to travel and spend time with my family and go to the beach. And you know, I played volleyball in college, and I still like to play now and then. But you know, I got shoulder injuries and stuff like that, so it's just not the same. Yeah. Uh, next time someone's in the New Jersey City area, what's your restaurant or bar recommendation? Wow. Um, well, first of all, we're in the Jersey City Hoboken area, where there's literally 10,000 bars, mm-hmm. or at least it feels like it, so it's hard to pick just one. Um, you can pick a couple. Wow. Um, I don't know if I have just one I go to. Um, you know, there's places down the beach I go to. There's some good restaurants down there. There's in, in the Ironbound section in Newark. There's some amazing Portuguese food. You know, some great steakhouses in New York that we frequent. Um, there's some Irish pubs. You know, I don't think I have one or two I could pick just just randomly. Down the shore, I like Jack Baker's um, seafood. Um, they have a place in Point Pleasant, a steakhouse in Monroe that I like. But I, to be honest, I have like an open table app. Mm-hmm. on my phone and like any time I see a restaurant that kind of intrigues me or I see people make a recommendation on Facebook I'll bookmark it and you know like my wife and I are trying to plan a date night right now we're going to go to one of those places mm-hmm. we try not to go back to the same place you know too many times there's a couple hibachis we go to with my kids they love uh, Sawa Steakhouse oh, yeah. down by us and I think they actually are going out of business unfortunately but we love them um, just yeah, I, I, I like variety. Yeah, it sounds like it. So um, if anybody wanted to get in contact with you, follow up with you after this, uh, network with you, what would be the best way to do it? I'm really hard to find. There's a lot of guys out there named Ira Thor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure all yeah, one of them. I'm, yeah. I'm the only one in the world apparently with my name. So I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, obviously email, um, LinkedIn. I'm, I'm actually starting to do some LinkedIn presentations with some of our student athletes. So I'm trying to um, be on there a little bit more than I probably have been over the years, but I'm, I'm extremely accessible and I've, I've mentored, you know, some you know, great people in our profession, some of whom like Olivia Coro, who've been the rising star recently and, you know, some other folks who are up and coming rising stars. So, um, I love, um, being able to be in that role and kind of, you know, help people that are uh, coming up along the way. Well, Ira, thank you very much for a part two of this. It's been long overdue, man, and I appreciate you coming on being episode 13 as well as being episode 100. Thank you very much. I feel honored to be number 100. Thanks for having me on. No problem.
So guys, there you have it. 100 down. 100 more to go, I guess. Uh, next week we'll have John Holt from Slippery Rock and The Rock. We'll talk about uh, how hard that is to the market in that sort of area. Uh, the mistakes that he's seen with people trying to figure out exactly what Slippery Rock's nickname is. Um, and then we'll go through his journey and his path and his, uh, I think, I believe that they're one of the few to have their own select digital network that they've actually pioneered, have it in-house, that is, um, that they've pioneered. So we'll talk all about that and more next week of SIDcast. But first, guys, like I mentioned in the beginning, uh, go and give us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on social media at SportsInfoCast. Remember that we are off for the entire month of December as well as Thanksgiving. Um, what else we got? What else is going on? Sign up for a newsletter, sidcast.fireside.fm slash newsletter. Uh, you'll get all of that stuff, all the first. You'll be able to vote in our Hall of Fame selection voting. Uh, it's an exciting time, and that will come in October when, as we near our year three anniversary, which is insane because it'll get here before you know it. Oh, you know it will because I, when I, I did year, not year 50, episode 50, I got a cookie cake from Morgan, and I was super happy, and then tomorrow is episode 100 i don't know what i get but it's just feel like it was just yesterday that i was doing episode 50 with katie um insane absolutely insane all this this whole journey so i thank you guys for being with me but anyway guys that's all i got for today thank you all for listening we hope to catch you all in the next episode